nobody was talking about the kids who are so dangerous that the therapists don't know what to do with them. Nobody's talking about that. And Dana was. And, you know, she had this 45-minute talk with Dana and Jason, just like, you know, completely open talk about what they would do, how they actually survived when Eli was at his, you know, worst moments. And that itself was revolutionary to hear that there are other people doing this. I'm like, wow, I'm not alone. Is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted, defeated, and hopeless? You are not alone. And I want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken. Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong-willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham, parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at calmthechaospodcast.com. If you have ever felt like your life is at the bottom of the barrel. You, it, things couldn't get any worse. And around every turn, it just feels like more challenges are coming up, especially when it comes to your kids' behaviors. And you're struggling in school. You're struggling around your house. You're struggling with getting your kids to listen. You're struggling in every aspect. If that is you, you are going to absolutely love today's episode because I have got a guest who's going to be sharing how she was in that place, much like I was and much like you might be right now, and how she found hope and she found a way forward. And I'm so excited to talk with her. She has got so much to offer the world. And um, she's been in our world for quite some time now. So I'm so excited to invite on Rachel Lee. Rachel, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story today. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you. For people who um, have not ever met you yet, I mean, you are such a huge member of our community. So if people are inside of even any of our free groups, um, they have met you most likely, even if they don't realize it, um, because you're so active in the in the comments and things like that. So um, can you tell listeners a little bit about who you are and about your family? Sure. So I'm Rachel. I live in Ottawa, Canada. Um, I live with my husband and we have three super kids who are now 11, 8 and 6. My kids are all diagnosed neurodivergent. Um, I am two now because of my kids. I was late diagnosis, um, officially diagnosed autistic about a year and a half ago. And I believe I was never officially diagnosed because it's not part of the DSM yet, but I believe I'm also PDA profile of autism. The only person who was not diagnosed yet is my husband, but we're working on him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's our family. And what are the diagnoses of your children? Officially, um, my oldest uh, has multiple learning disabilities and is autistic. We also suspect ADHD, but it was never um, the biggest chaos causer. Uh, so it just wasn't diagnosed, but we treat it the same. Uh, my middle guy is autistic as well, I believe, also a PDA profile, and my youngest is autistic, and we're working on getting the ADHD diagnosis for him. because. Yeah, and really one happy. of your children was non-speaking at the time, is that correct? So my middle one, um, when we came to Common Chaos, yeah, he was uh, so shut down that like there was just no connection to the world at all, yeah. 
So before we get in, uh, you mentioned calling them super kids, and we don't talk about that a lot here on the episode. So at least you didn't call them SKs. So sometimes people will hear them be called SKs, and they're like, what the heck does that mean? Um, and I think that you have a beautiful way of describing it. So can you share what do you mean by an SK or a super kid? Sure. So um, for uh, our world, at least, we um, believe that our kids are uh, not just kids, but they're also humans with their own spark, their own um, place in this world, their own beautiful gift to this world. And so we like to remind ourselves of that by calling them super kids. Um, and also in reference to Dana's um, kind of um, tool for us to swap their struggles to superpowers. So we call yeah. them super kids because they also have their own superpowers. Recently, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Recently, um, it kind of came up in some some reviews about Calm the Chaos that because of this struggles to superpower swap, that's very late in the roadmap because it does take um, a certain perspective to be able to be there. Um, there was kind of this kind of pushback because adult autistics have now come out and said they don't like this stereotype of superpowers and um, and kind of personifying the stereotype that autism is a superpower or that ADHD is a superpower. Um, and you being autistic yourself and raising autistic children, what would you say about the struggle to superpower swap and why does it resonate with you? I think for me, um, it resonates because it's just that reminder that we take the kid, the whole kid, right? Um, we're not taking just the good part of them and we're not taking the struggles. We're taking, you get everything with them and you have to embrace both parts. You have to be willing to put in that relationship with both parts of them. Um, so that's mm -hmm. why it resonates with me was that just that reminder for me, every time I say their name, I'm reminding myself that I'm taking the whole kid in front of me, everything that's with them. Um, as far as the the languaging of super uh, powers, I know that it's definitely words really are important to autistic people. It's I really understand that struggle, um, and so learning from it is great. Like if we say, okay, we understand that in some places, in some communities, um, in some histories people have been hurt by that word, by superpowers, or some people can perceive that, you know, calling kids to have superpowers who also have a diagnosis that we're only focusing on, you know, those, those few kids that have those really high intellect or those really special gifts. That's not what we're talking about in this community. We're talking about every single kid is an amazing human and is valued. And there's something that we can continue looking for to support and to value in them. I mean, Dana has always been open to listening to neurodivergent people, to listening to other people's lived experiences. And I know that if people come to her and offer, a com you know, having a conversation with her, like, this is better wording, this is better way that we would prefer you use it. She would, every instance I've ever seen, she has taken other people's um, lived experience into account and will um, adjust accordingly and is always willing to have a, a conversation. So for me, it works. But if there are people who are hurt by it, offended by it, or have, um, you know, other ways of expressing this 
feeling this thought, she is definitely open to, I, I mean, I'm speaking for you, Dana, but I know from what I have seen of you being with you for like five years, there's been many instances where people have come and said, you know, this is, I don't like this wording. And you've been open to having that, that conversation. So I'm, I'm, I can fully vet for Dana's ability to, to talk to you. <laughs> no, to I think other that humans. that's really helpful. And yeah, I think it's helpful to hear your insight. And I am trying to learn from from voices of people who have been marginalized and who have been hurt by words. And so I want to make sure that we are using words that, that lift people up and also want to meet parents where they're at so that they um, are able to make that big shift from seeing their kid as a as a struggle or as um, let's only focus on the good and ignore the bad and let's let's try to make the good even more good. It's like, no, no, no. Like you have to accept both sides. You have to accept my rigid thinking along with the fact that my rigid thinking can be really frustrating to you. And also it really helps me like stay focused and it helps me have my autonomy and it helps me like there are both sides of this puzzle. Um, And puzzle is not the right word, but you I think you get yeah. what I mean. All right, so thank you. Now I'm really, now I'm really causing problems. Okay, um, uh, there's two sides of the coin. There we go. Um, so what I you let's dig into your story because I think it is so beautiful and it really articulates the transformation that's possible when you make small iterations and when because this isn't a one and done. This isn't a quick fix. This is a a life change of how you interact and how you think and how you um, kind of process what you're doing with your kids. And so walk us through a little bit, kind of paint the picture. What was life like in your home for you, for your kids before finding Calm the Chaos? Sure. So, um, I mean, I did mention my middle guy before we came to Calm the Chaos. He had just been diagnosed autistic. Um, and um, he was at the point where he was either on the couch, just completely shut down, like not engaging at all with anybody, with anything in the world. Like there was nothing that interested him at all. And he would just like sit there repetitively steaming, or it was like these huge hours, hours, hours long meltdowns that like nothing could help him. And you know, really aggressive, really destructive. Like our house had nothing in it. Like we couldn't have furniture and we couldn't have anything on the walls. We couldn't, you know, like even leave food or, or dishes out or anything. Like it was just all going to be thrown or broken or used to, to hurt somebody with. And it felt like we never knew when that was coming. So we were always in this perpetual state of like just waiting. Um, and then when it did come, you know, I had pets. I had a toddler at the time. So the toddler just had to get like locked in a bedroom and like left there for hours. Like I couldn't give him the things that he needed. There was so much shame and guilt in my own person um, that I couldn't give him my toddler, you know, that upbringing that he was supposed to have, like, you know, the early years that you're supposed to be doing all these things with your toddlers, Um, you know, this really important time of their development. And he was just being locked in a bedroom. Um, and then my oldest who I committed to, I just want to be, I want to iterate right there for anyone listening. Um, what you mean is he was being put so that he could be safe away from the dangers of whatever was happening. Like, I just want to, I want to be, let's, let's make sure since we're, people don't know you and they don't know me and they might hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, she locked her kid in a bedroom. Um, so what we mean is like, 
putting the child in a safe place where he's not going to get hurt. Yeah, it, it yeah. was like, you know, they say, if, you know, when you have your baby and you're like, they they say, you know, like, if you are so upset that you, you are thinking of hurting your baby just to set them in their crib and walk away like that was, we were still doing that, but to protect him from his sibling, who like, mm-hmm. we couldn't protect him in the moment. So I had to be with his sibling. So I would just put him in a bedroom and I had to lock the door so that his sibling couldn't get in to get at him and hurt him. Um Mm-hmm. And then as he grew up, it, there was a lot of like screen time for him because there was like, I was, you know, putting all my energy into his sibling and I, I couldn't be there once again for those developmental moments. So there's so much shame and, and guilt in my person um, around mm-hmm. that. And then my oldest, I, you know, committed to homeschooling my kids. I was just not able to like, you know, sit down and do the schooling with her. And I mean, at the same time, she was not interested in learning anything from me. And so that was a a struggle in itself. Um, And then because I was spending so much of my time during the day, just handling those, you know, hours long meltdowns, just doing damage control that I wasn't getting to my lesson planning. I wasn't getting to cleaning the house. I wouldn't get into meals, personal care. Like it didn't exist. Like there, my own needs didn't exist at all. So I was staying up at night, um, just getting as much done as I could at night after, you know, I put the kids down, I would, you know, go back downstairs and like clean and cook and whatever I had to do uh, until like they woke up multiple times a night, you know, I'd go resettle them and then come back down. And at the end of the night, it was like maybe an hour that I was sleeping an hour or two a night. I was sleeping like every single night, just in such a state of not addressing myself, my body, my own, you know, personal needs. It it was awful. (laughs) Definitely. That led that led to you being in a really bad place as well. Like obviously you not meeting your own needs and not being able to take care of yourself, but even um, your like mental state, I know that when you came to us, you were in a really, really bad place there as well. For sure. So like I had unaddressed mental illness for my whole life. So I mean, my kids didn't cause the mental illness that was already there, but it was, you know, those increasing layers of responsibility in my life and also not getting the supports that I needed um, that just eventually pushed me to that point of burnout. And then when I was in the Comcast world, I started, you know, really recognizing myself as a person again, (laughs) giving myself the stuff I need. And there was this like cognitive dissonance really of like, I'm not allowed being a person. I'm not allowed having needs and also like starting to give myself that. And it really did mess with my psyche there was a lot of there was a couple of years that yeah I was a real holy mess um and Conley Guess was there just holding me up my my lifeline through it all so yeah I really have you guys to thank for my family and for my personal um Mm. growth my personal uh safety and and even my life knowing where you were and then knowing where you are today and seeing what a huge, valuable member of the community you are and how you help others in our community when they're in what I would call maybe their darkest hour. Um, And they're just like, I'm not sure I'm going to move forward. I don't know that I'm the parent for this kid. I don't know that I can do this anymore. And you have the words to kind of help them navigate through that. And I think it's because of what we're about to talk about that 
that first plan you created and then the plans you've created since. So can you talk us through, we talk a lot about like in the Calm the Chaos book, we talk about the five stages and um, what you created is actually like a uh, a rendition of stage one, but it's almost stage zero. It's this like um, really, really rudimentary uh, emergency plan. Can you talk us through what your emergency plan was, why you needed it, and um, what that looked like? When I came to Calm the Kiss, that's another thing. Coming to Calm the Kiss was revolutionary just for the emergency plan. Nobody was talking about the kids who are so dangerous that, you know, the therapists don't know what to do with them, right? They're, nobody's talking about that. And Dana was. Yeah. And, you know, she had this, like, when I came in, it was like this 45-minute talk with Dana and Jason, just like, you know, completely open talk about what they would do, how they actually survived when Eli was at his, you know, worst moments. And that is, itself was revolutionary to hear that there are other people doing this. I'm like, wow, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not the only mm-hmm. parent who has this kid who is so dangerous that I don't know what to do and nobody else knows what to do. So that in itself, just being accepted, being, you know, welcomed into this world of like, there's other people like me and there's other people working on this was so empowering. So uh, gave me so much hope to continue going. Uh, The first 90 days was just focusing on an emergency plan for my middle guy. And it was in a sense, it made so much sense to me because my logical autistic brain was like, duh, like this makes sense. We just, you know, remove the, the stressors, we remove the dangerous stuff and um, we wait it out, which makes sense. And also my human brain was not quite on board there. <laughs> and the most important part of that emergency plan for me was actually learning that I also had to stop. Mm-hmm. I had to stop my thoughts. I had to stop my to-do lists. I had to stop my worries. I had to stop my catastrophizing about what this was going to mean towards the rest of the day. I had to stop beating myself up about how I missed those signals again. Cause right. Like the therapists are like, well, you just have to look for their triggers. And then you <laughs> magically like knowing their triggers, the, the meltdowns just go away. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And especially when you're in that, that really hard place, like you can't access your logic brain to be able to watch for triggers and to watch for things. And you don't have the relationship built with them yet to, to watch for it and notice it. And so I, I call the ride the storm plan or the emergency plan, the plan until you have a plan. Like yeah. it's, it's until you have a plan that works, you still need something that you can yeah. do to get through it. And, um, it's not Wednesday, but if we were recording this yesterday, um, it's noon here. And so every Wednesday at noon, there's sirens that go off in my town because they are here to remind us that we need an emergency plan for when the tornadoes come through. And I I lived here most of my life growing up, spent many years away, and we've just been back for two years. But in the, what, 25 years that I have lived here, I've probably lived through five to 10 tornadoes. And every time I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. Like exactly, you go down to the basement or you go under the stairs and you wait it out. Like it is not about doing anything else. And that's what you're kind of describing here. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the 
not doing anything else part was really hard for me. I mean, I had three very young kids. I was trying to homeschool, um, trying to keep on top of this, you know, this world that was collapsing on us. And so my mind's still going 100 miles a minute. Um, It's still like I would still even be trying to do stuff while Mm -hmm. he's in this meltdown. And it was like that aha moment of just stop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just stop doing, stop thinking, stop planning. (laughs) Just stop and just be in that moment with him. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't make the meltdowns go away like magically, but it really did reduce so much of that dysregulation, just him knowing that I had the time for him, that he mm-hmm. was worth me stopping all of these imp- other important things that I had in my life just to be with him while he was mm-hmm. having such a really, really hard time. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning for me of really understanding my kids. Um, and that was the beginning of our success was me stopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dana here. And guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos, has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm 100% sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is calmthechaosbook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. And what has become possible now, now that you, I mean, that was the first plan you've probably made. I mean, I'm just guessing here 50 to 100 plans since then. I mean, like you said, you've been with us for five years. So there's lots of plans you've created and iterated and and shifted over time. Um, So what, you know, that rippled into a huge transformation for your family. Where are you guys at now? Sure. So um, now we have one, my oldest kiddo is in school. So she had a kid go back to school right after uh, 2021. Um, my middle two are still homeschooled. The version of homeschooling that we're doing is very, very different from what it was before. And I, I credit Calm the Chaos for a lot of that. I mean, I believe Calm the Chaos and de-schooling are like one of the same thing, really, <laughs> right? It's de-schooling for parents is what Calm the Chaos is. It's um, So going through that process of de-schooling with my kids while doing Calm the Chaos, brilliant, and now it's so much interest-led learning from my other two. Um, my middle one, who was like not speaking at all, like didn't recognize my husband at all as a human, didn't recognize his younger brother as a human. Like he engages and plays with everyone in his own way, of course. Like he has, of course, his specific interests and his specific ways of communicating. And that is all celebrated and welcomed in our family. Um, mm-hmm. And my youngest, um, I mean there was so much fear and so much worry for him. And he's just turned and blossomed into this amazingly empathetic and brilliant little kiddo that um, I was actually just talking with this um, earlier with my podmates. Um, We're working on doing his schedule every day. He asked to be able to write out a schedule every day because that's what mama does is she writes out her schedule and she plans her day and he has to be able to do it for him because he was kind of getting to the end of the day and being his you know adhd brain like (laughs) he would just go off and get stuck on one thing and then he would get to the end of the day and he's like i i didn't get to do these fun things that i wanted to do so every night we sit down together now and we we schedule out his his plan for the day and like where he's going to get his time with me and where he's going to get time with his siblings and his dad so it's also that hope, that message of hope that like, even if you were in, your kids are in those 
periods where you're really, really worried and scared for them, like on the other side, there is hope. There is a, a new day. There's going to be um, possibility open for them. And these kids are just like this generation of kids is just so amazing. I just am so encouraged and hopeful seeing my kids, seeing other kids in our community, like the things that they're able to do is just brilliant. They're going to like conquer this world. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give me an example of something you're, you're speaking of with the kids? And I think you're speaking of like their ability to advocate for themselves and be who they are without masking and um, kind of covering up who they are. Um, Can you, is there a specific example you can think of? Sure. Like, today for my um, 11 year old. <laughs> um, she's been really struggling with school again. School just started. She, We got invited to an in-person meeting with her team at school. And before we went, we talked about it. And she's like, here's the things that I'm not going to do. I am not going to answer their questions if they keep on repeating them to me. Because I mean, adults, we, we want that answer now. And, <laughs> you know, we think maybe the person didn't hear us. So we, we repeat it or we say it in a different way. Um, she's like, if they keep on repeating the, the questions, I'm not going to answer. And I'm going to get mad and I'm going to walk out to them. So we said up front, you know, like, ask the question and then wait. And she needs processing time. She needs up to one, one to two minutes of processing time um, before she might answer you. So you've got to give her that time. And whatever answer she gives, she said, you know, even though my answer is, I don't know, that is my answer. And please don't ask me to give you a different way or to give more information because that is my answer. And just respecting those um, rules, they didn't force her to sit down in a chair and they didn't force her to talk. They didn't grill her. Um, she was, you know, touching things. She was just fidgeting and she was just allowed to be like, how amazing <laughs> and mm-hmm. like brilliant is that? Like being a masking autistic my whole life, I, I can't, um, like, it's just so healing for me to see this, that this mm-hmm. is where we're going. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And I've seen so much, um, that you do to advocate for yourself and to be able to navigate the challenges that you have. And you've told me that, you know, you have your diagnosis um, as an autistic adult now, and you believe that you have the PDA profile. Can you explain what that is to people and then what that means? Sure. (laughs) That's actually a really fun one because somebody in the community asked that last week that they're like, I assume you don't mean that it's public displays of affection. I'm like, no. <laughs> although, although you are the one that wore the cactus pin, you know, like, no, I don't want hugs when we had our in-person. <laughs> yeah, definitely not public dif- displays of affection. Um, the pathological term for it, the medical term for it is pathological demand avoidance. Um, I prefer and other autistics prefer to see this as a superpower, as a strength rather than a deficit. And so I call it persistent drive for autonomy because yeah. that is really what it is. It's about my personal control, my personal autonomy. And for um, someone with a PDA profile, um, demands in life can feel like a removal of our control, a removal of autonomy. And the discomfort, the anxiety that comes along with that can result in behaviors that we call equalizing behaviors. And those equalizing behaviors are supposed to level that 
um, discrepancy in power. They can come out looking like behaviors that in the past, a lot of PDA has been diagnosed as ODD, meaning oppositional defiant disorder. So it is that kid or that person who even in, there was a meme going around I saw recently, it was like, um, I wanted to do this thing. And then this person told me I had to do this thing. So no, I can't do this thing. <laughs> it, it, it That really is in our brain. We're like, somebody just told us I had to do this thing that I wanted to do. So no, I'm not going to do it. And we will like dig our heels in. Like, I can't do it anymore. I just can't make my brain do it. This strong need for us to be in control. But it's not what some people think of as giving us choices. Because choices are not control, right? Because often choices are like, do you want to do the red cup or the blue cup. That is not a choice, <laughs> right? right. Um, if you're going to get pushback, you're going to get fight. And some behaviors that I mean, I've seen in my kiddos when they were my, particularly my middle guy when he was younger, um, that can be really frustrating and really hard to know what to do with will be things like, it sounds like they're telling the adult what to do. He will tell me, you know, you have to sit here you have to eat this thing. You have to, um, or it will tell me like, go away. And as soon as I walk away, he's like, come back. If that can get really, really frustrating, really hard for an adult to be like, I'm being told what to do by a toddler or by a preschooler, right? Shifting your mindset there, understanding this is an equalizing behavior. They are just trying to feel in control right now in their life, which just feels so completely out of control. It's not about um, who's in power. It's about being that team, breaking down those um, beliefs about I have to be in charge or we're fighting against each other. We're not in opposing camps. We're together. We're working together. What would you say to a parent who's listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so much like my kid, or I've been looking at PDA. I think that this might be my kid. Um, a lot of times I see parents really feeling like they're at a loss, that there's nothing they can do because you can't request your kid to do something. You can't ask your kid to do this thing. And um, and so how are you supposed to make any movement forward? So what, what would you say to a parent of a child in this situation? The, the first thing is you're in the exactly the right place, the, the best place you can be, because the way that Calm the Chaos teaches it is we do it from the ground up, which is your own mindset first. And that is absolutely the most important thing when you're working in relationships with other people, and especially with people who are PDA, you have to work on your own thoughts and your own beliefs that this brings up. Because if you're coming into a situation flooded by your own emotions, flooded by your own past stories, it's not going to go well. And a PDA person is definitely not going to back down. And it's just going to be this power struggle that gets more and more and more. So the very first thing that Calm the Chaos teaches is your your thoughts, your beliefs, your own stories, and you know, setting those aside, dealing that with them yourself, not putting those on your kids. Absolutely brilliant for any relationship in life and essential for if you're working with somebody who's PDA. And 
Uh, you have created some plans for yourself too. Can you, because of uh, some of the struggles you've had, and can you talk just about, um, you have a whole binder of them and it's absolutely beautiful. I wish we could like show it, you know, but I know this is a podcast and most people are listening. Um, but can you just walk us through, well, first tell us what it is, like what is this binder you have and then walk us through one of the plans? Sure. So, um, in Calm the Chaos, I mean, there is five basic stages of the Calm the Chaos robot. And the last stage is the family success plan. And that is where you're really getting to those um, those plans and those agreements and those rules and those routines um, and knowing every individual as they are and just how they tick. You're at that like empowerment piece that like everything's just working beautifully piece. And in my family... Um, I mean, I was the person with the most problems, really. And I didn't recognize it right, up, uh, right away. I came for my kids. Um, and I, I started getting my kids, you know, on a path where things were, you know, looking better for them, more hope for them. Um, and then I was the one who was just falling to pieces. And so I started having to make plans for myself. But I'm really terrible at remembering things. <laughs> you know, I think that I will remember it. I have a great memory for other things like random facts. I can tell you those. But remembering what I'm supposed to do when I'm flooded with shame or guilt or, um, you know, those those past stories of my whole lifetime of trauma, uh, I can't remember what to do. So I started mm -hmm. writing plans for me. Um, just Now, do plans feel like a demand to you? Ah, uh, good question. <laughs> um, for me, plans feel like an empowerment piece because in the moment, for me, I cannot make choices in the moment. I cannot think I like I'm a freeze fawn person in the moment. Whatever um, any demand happens, there you're not going to get my logical brain on board. And so, for me, plans are taking that need to make a choice need to think out of the picture. They are the empowerment for me. They're like, I know I've used my logical brain before to make like the best choice I can for this moment. And so for me, I can feel safe, feel in control still whenever I have that plan. Mm -hmm. I'm not having to try to think it through when I'm so really badly triggered. And it's a plan you've created. So then it doesn't feel like someone else is saying, this is what you should do or have to do in this moment. Exactly. So it's, okay. it's, um, it, it's the taking the choice in the moment out of it. So taking that triggering moment out of it. And also I know that I have used my logical brain to make this choice outside of the moment. So mm -hmm. yes, I'm keeping my control, my power in this moment by making this plan outside of the moment. What are some of the things that you've made these plans for? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I started with a lot of in the moment plans um, because I was, I, I mean, I didn't write down my ride the storm plans as much as I should have um, because I was at that point where I was still not accepting who I was. I was still not accepting um, a lot of my struggles that I was having. But when I got, came to this realization that, you know, I was repeating patterns over and over and over again. And I can't, and I realized I can't in the moment change how I 
um, what I do or what I say in those moments, that's when I started writing these in the moment plans for myself. And um, the in the moment plans were uh, relating to stories that I had, you know, repeated over my life. And a lot of them relating to shame, relating to um, blame, to guilt. So those were my, my first ones where I realized, you know, what am I doing um, in the moment? And the most part, important part of it for me was realizing that piece of when does this start? When does this happen? And so mm-hmm. I would write out, you know, here is what I'm seeing in myself or what I'm feeling in my body, um, where my mind is going whenever um, this particular plan needs to be instituted. So I called it my when, when I see this. So um, let's see, one of my very first plans was my inertia plan. When I um, see myself scrolling, when I see myself, you know, cleaning or doing the stuff that is not really important. Um, or for, for me, a lot of the times it was sleeping. I would just like take a nap instead of, you know, getting to what was important. When I see those things, when I see my energy dipping, when I, um, not following through on what I wanted to do, I would say out loud, I'm stuck. Hmm. I would do, I'll go into the community and post, I'm doing my in-stuck plan. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's that accountability piece. Like I have other people who are surrounding me who are going to check up on me afterwards and they, you know, they care about me and they, they want what's best for me. So Mm -hmm. it's not keeping it to myself, not making um, it all about me having to fix it anymore, sharing the burden, sharing my inner world with other people. So telling my community I'm stuck. And then I had a, I can't remember what my do was for that one. Oh, I had some journal prompts that I had written outside of the moment of, you know, to get into my head, to get into my thoughts, to get into my stories, to, to, to really dig into where I was getting stuck. And that was like one of my first, my first in the moment plans for me. And from there, it's built into this huge, huge binder of not just in the moment plans, but ahead of the moment plans. Um, I have a whole, we call it, we originally called it spark, um, it's now a time and energy plan, but mine is not like five minutes. It's like at least an hour, <laughs> right? I have multiple plans involved in that for each step of that, that I do. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really like my lifeline. Like for me, mm-hmm. um, it's my manual to tell me how I operate and how to, um, you know, get the best version of me. So to wrap this up, I, I like to ask this one question of kind of everyone is if you were sitting right now, and you do this all the time, so beautifully in our community already. Um, But there's a really struggling parent right in front of you right now. They're listening to this episode and they are feeling like you felt of um, uh, my kid is really struggling. I can't connect with them. My world is falling apart. I'm not showering. I'm not taking care of myself. I'm in complete overwhelm. Like, what do you think is the one thing, only one thing that they need to hear right now? For me, I still need to remind myself of daily is those hard moments are actually the change happening. It is really hard to see mm-hmm. it and believe it in the moment. But those moments when you're struggling, when um, 
you're really doubting yourself when you're feeling the shame and the guilt, when you're, you might be, you know, trying to advocate with other people in your kids' lives and it doesn't feel like um, you're getting the results you want. You're actually engaging in the change at that moment. And it's really hard to believe, but leaning into those hard moments is actually going to make that progress faster. You're going to get out on the other side um, faster and there's something better on the other side. So really leaning into those hard moments and also leaning into them one at a time, right? In mm-hmm. Calm the Chaos, we talk about our tiny, tiny next step. We're not talking about fixing all of the bajillion problems at once, right? You've got to start with one thing. And when you think you're starting with one step, usually when we lean into the community and we say like, this is my next step, somebody is going to point out like, actually that's like 10 steps, right? You've got to like make it Mm -hmm. even smaller. So leaning into the hard moments, leaning into the work that you have to do to get the results you want, um, even when it's uncomfortable and finding that tiny next step to keep on moving forward. And if you, even if it doesn't look like you're going where you want to go, any movement is still better than no movement. Rachel, thank you so much for opening up, for sharing, for telling your story and being so vulnerable. I know it's going to help so many parents who are listening to this. So thank you so much again for being here. And if you're listening to this and any of this has resonated, anything I've said or anything that Rachel has said about what she's been going through and how she created plans, not just for her family, but also for herself and started to accept who she was and who her kids were. Um, if that's something that you're looking for, I highly encourage you go pick up a copy of the Calm the Chaos book. You can go to calmthechaosbook.com, grab a copy of it. Um, you can also get it at any of your local bookstores or Amazon and then still go back to calmthechaosbook.com because we have got some great bonuses for you when you do that. And when you jump into the community, you will meet myself and Rachel. Um, We're there with open arms to invite you in because we want you to know that you are not alone on this journey. And, and your kids are not broken and they do not need to be fixed. You just need a new path forward and these tiny steps that Rachel is talking about. And if this has resonated at all, please, please uh, message us on Instagram, on social, send us an email, let us know what has resonated and let us know what questions you have so we can address those in a future episode. For now, bye guys. I will talk to you soon. Oh, and before I go, One quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com and I'll see you next week.